What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Smoke Signals. I'm Justin Latta, and let's get right to it. Joining me uh, for the first time in a while is Willie Hood. We're going to talk uh, our new IBI top uh, prospect rankings, among some other things. So it's going to be a little bit of uh, – uh, it's not smoke – you know, it's not going to be smoke signals. It's more going to be the uh, farm report, but we're not really bringing the farm report back just yet. But we're getting into a lot of good things. Willie, how you doing? Are you ready to talk about the list? I am uh, excited to be back on with you, Justin. Thanks for having me again, and I look forward to uh, maybe contributing again a little bit more in the future. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm ready to go over the list, man. I'm excited to talk a, a little bit about baseball, and let's uh, let's avoid the world and the news for a few minutes if we can. Let's do it. Okay, so we've got a lot to get to here, so we're going to try to get through everything as succinctly as possible. We have. A new top 50, and it's not really going to be a top 50. It's going to be a top wherever we think the cutoff is. Um, Fangraphs takes this approach, and I pitched this to you guys, you and uh, Joe Koblitz, who's part of our, our prospect staff now. Um, I don't necessarily know that we need an arbitrary like 50 cutoff. I think the cutoff is just where we feel it's it's not worth writing about guys in depth. Like, you know, our, our – our scouting report rankings are, or our scouting reports of our rankings are pretty in depth. So I think whoever we feel is necessary to write about and who we think fans should know about and who we like, uh, we just cut it off there. And, and then we'll write about guys after the cutoff in a, in a different way, but I don't think there's any need to cut it off at just, you know, 50 because Fangraphs has been doing this. And I think that's a good way to look at it. Uh, we'll talk about Owen Miller, Joey Cantillo, and, and Gabriel Arias. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the list a little bit. And then first, we're going to talk about Kyle Nelson. So uh, Kyle Nelson, uh, as we're recording today on Wednesday, September 9th, uh, was called up for the first time. Uh, Adam Simber was sent back to the alternate training site, and Jeffrey Rodriguez was placed on the 45-day IL with a shoulder strain. So his season's over. Uh, was never probably going to come up anyway. So Kyle Nelson – was a draft pick, I believe, in what, 2017? Yeah, 2017, 15th round pick out of UC Santa Barbara, a college teammate of Shane Beaver, left-handed reliever. Uh, Willie, are you surprised to see him this year? And, and what are some of the things you like about Kyle Nelson? I'm not too surprised to see him. I, uh, I think it's uh, good to see an opportunity come about for Kyle Nelson. It's nice to have another lefty in the pen. Uh, I think he brings a lot of deception with that low three quarters delivery, low nineties and a, and a slider and he can get hitters out on either side of the plate. So I think it's a nice addition. I want to see how he does. And, um, you know, I think it was time to explore another option. I'll just say it that way. I hate to see Simber go down because uh, ineffectiveness seemed to have bitten him at, at some point in the season. And, you know, I hate to see Jeffrey Rodriguez, go down with a shoulder injury, but I, I believe that's not really a big surprise since he's been dealing with that since early spring. Um, excited to see Kyle Nelson potentially get an opportunity tonight. We know the uh, bullpen has been taxed a little bit here lately, so let's see what he's got. Yeah, I'm not surprised to see him at all. I think there's a lot of things to like. Um, I, you know, We had written, I think, earlier this season in scouting report that you can check out over at IansBaseballInsider.com as a subscriber for four ninety nine a month. Shameless plug, even though this is our podcast. Um, he, uh, we, we thought there was a chance he could be up this year, just depending on the need for him and the need arose. And like you said, he can get hitters on both sides of the plate. In his minor league career, um, you know, he spanned three levels last year, so it's it's been a a quick ascent for him. So it's hard to really dig into any like. You know, deep numbers with him. He's got, what, uh, uh, maybe just a shade over 100 innings in his minor league career, uh, 120. And if anything, he's really struggled more against lefties and righties, and he hasn't really struggled that much, and some of that's in small sample size. But uh, what stands out to me is the command uh, and then the spin on the fastball. His fastball uh, up on fan graphs, they have to spin right at 24.50. That puts him... In uh, Okay, it puts him in Tristan McKenzie and James Karinchak range. So we know already Tristan McKenzie's got good spin on the fastball. 
We know that James Karinchak has good spin on the fastball. And I looked it up earlier. Um, he sits around uh, the upper third of baseball in terms of fastball spin rate. So that's going to be your Garrett Coles, uh, not quite your Trevor Bowers, but, you know, a good range. So his fastball has above average spin. And that's why at 90-93, it's so good because it does have spin. He does have that funky three-quarters arm slot. He has a little back turn before he comes to the plate. And then the slider pairs off it very well. Same uh, same arm angle, same release point, basically. And the spin on that's also really good. I heard last year that he might have had one of the best spinning sliders uh, among Indians prospects, pitching prospects a year ago. So that's why he was, he's been on our top prospect list because, you know, it's, it's hard to rank relievers sometimes, right? Like, I mean, you really have to feel like they're an impact reliever, like a James Karinchak, like an Emmanuel Classe. Um, and I think Nick Sandlin is on there. So that would make, now that Nick Mikulajek's on there, that makes what four current relievers that are on the, on the top 54 we have right now. Yeah. I think it's just a, a different way of evaluating relievers too. Um, you know, they, they bring something to the plate and it's, or they bring something to the, to the field whenever they come on and it's how do they impact in the innings that they are there. And when you consider that, I know there's guys out there that play every single day, but they just don't have the same sort of impact a guy can have out of the bullpen, like a James Karinchak or, uh, you know, even Kyle Nelson, I think will be an effective reliever in the big leagues because of his deception and, and because of the spin that he has, you know, uh, Mikolo check. I'm not sure how you say the last name. I think that's it. But, um, you know, he's another guy that I really like. I think that could move relatively quickly in a normal season. I think he would have progressed pretty fast. We'll have to wait and see next year. But uh, Nick Sandlin, another one down at the alternate site, who gives the Indians another option out of the bullpen. Um, you know, it's it's just evaluating relievers for the impact that they have on the game, I think. And that's, that's the turn that we've had to make. And I think baseball's have had to make, as you see guys like Manuel Class A and James Karen check um, get a higher prospect rating than what, what we have seen in the past. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, you know, the relief impact is tough to evaluate on a top prospect list because you're going up against starting pitchers and position players that obviously are going to have more of an impact on the game. So you're going to rank them higher. But I think the one change that's been made to evaluating prospects as far as relief prospects are concerned is, the three batter minimum. So, you know, you're not like you're really ranking, you know, left-handed matchup guys before, but because of the three batter minimum rule, I think you can at least play up some of your relief prospects that, that fill that role, like a Karen check or class a, um, if you feel like they're going to make an impact late in the innings, because they have to face three batters. And, and if you, you're not going to rank a guy that you feel like is only going to get left-handers out. So the one thing Kyle Nelson has, if we already talked about, was he can get lefties and righties out. He's done that in his minor league career, and that's why he's on our list. Uh, it's just he got bumped lower this year to start the season because the system has improved uh, over the last year, and it improved again over the summer. So fastball-slider combination for, for Kyle Nelson, three-quarter delivery, throws a lot of strikes, high spin. Um, I think eventually he can move into like a – He's, for me, he's probably a sixth or seventh inning guy. I mean, could he be a left-handed set of guy? I think so, but I think he probably profiles best as a sixth, seventh inning guy that has the chance to miss bats and, and be a good, you know, not just a, a bullpen filler, a guy who's going to come in and mop up time. I think he can come in and if your starter only goes five or six innings, he can come in and fill that inning out for you and, and be effective with a lead. I, I think we've seen a right-handed version of that with uh, Phil Maton, who's been coming in, in in the sixth and seventh inning in games lately and been relatively effective with a few hiccups here and there. But, um, you know, I, I think that's the type of role that Nelson has in front of him, which is the sixth, seventh inning role. I do think he could spot in as a lefty setup man at times, maybe later in his career as he develops more and, and um, you know, he learns batters more. You know, I, I think that that's something that could potentially be down the road for him. Right now, I think his immediate future in the next few years would probably be in that six, seven thing in the inning role. That's a great comparison. I was actually thinking about that earlier. I think that uh, a left-handed version of Kyle of uh, 
uh, Phil Maton is exactly right. I think the spin rate and the movement and the command all fit the same thing. So I think that's a potential role, and I, don't, I think that's a pretty fair comparison. Um, so that's that's what you got on Kyle Nelson. And the big reason, I mean, we were already re- resetting the uh, top prospect uh, rankings for IVI after the draft, but we finally got around to writing some new reports and adding the new stuff in on the new on the draft picks. So, of course, we finished with that. Just as the Indians traded Mike Clevenger and got three new prospects, all of which um, are in the top 50, and, and all three of which actually are in the top 30. Uh, very good trade for the Indians. So uh, we'll start with yours, Willie. You looked over Owen Miller um, pretty heavily. I think you said you remember him from the draft a little bit. Um, what do you, can you tell us about Owen Miller, who, uh, for those who haven't seen the piece, it's up for insiders only. Uh, Miller is at 23 in our top uh, top prospect rankings now. So Owen Miller was drafted in the third round, 2018, from the Illinois State, the same school as uh, Paul DeJong. Um, played shortstop in college. Actually got a little bit of experience over at first base over in the Northwoods League. He's a guy that's performed and hit at every single level. He's played in the Northwoods League. He's played in the Cape. Um, been in the, I think it was the Midwest League. Uh, in the Texas League last year at Armarillo, and he has hit everywhere he's been. Very impressed by his ability to put the bat on the ball. Good strike zone awareness. Um, As I said, he's hit at every single level. He's a guy that, um, you know, he looks like he's cut himself off a little bit with power. He kind of gets his right foot out in front, or not his right foot, but his front foot out in front of himself and doesn't turn into his hips fully because he cuts himself off. That way, uh, he doesn't get the power that he could if he if he brought his foot around all over the way and uh, kind of leaned into his hips that way. But you know, he's not clearing not clearing his hips and not generating power that way. But he's not going to be a power guy anyways. I and mean, he's got the ability to put the bat on the ball and to hit it to all fields. Last year, it was pretty even numbers, thirty eight percent to. His pull side, he was 27% right in the center and then 35% to right field. So that's about dead even. And that's what you want to see from from a guy that's not going to hit a lot of home runs. Um, You know, I I said that he doesn't have a lot of power, probably 10, 12 home runs a year, if that. I think that's good for him. But he just has that innate ability to put the ball, put the bat on the ball, and he will get his fair share of doubles. Uh, He had 28 last year. Um, I think it was pretty impressive in, in telling about his ability to hit that he got 100 hits in 75 games his first pro season. And that's pretty taxing after coming in um, from college, too, and doing that. So he's a guy that's already been at double A. He will be uh, what I would consider a depth option right now to play in a, in a utility role. And we'll see where it goes for him for, uh, in the future. But um, he's got got comps to Ben Zobrist, who was a 266 career hitter, um, average 16 home runs a year. I don't expect that kind of power. I would expect that kind of average from him. Uh, Mark Loretta is another guy that he's been compared to. Uh, I don't think he has the ability to hit his high average, but uh, it's my hopes, and I've used this comp earlier today, but my hopes that he'll be a uh, poor man's version of David Fletcher. So that's kind of my rundown on uh, Owen Miller. Yeah, I like what you said. David Fletcher is probably the upper range of outcomes for Owen Miller. I don't know that he's going to play shortstop. I know, uh, well, I, he could probably handle shortstop on, on a short-term basis. I would guess, uh, um, like you said, probably profiles better at second base. And he, like you wrote, he's been around um, all the infield positions. I wonder if he can maybe handle the outfield because obviously Ben Zobrist did later in his career. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he could. I know he's got a decent arm from what I've seen. Um, but I yeah, I mean, fringe average, average. Um, okay, fringe average. I'd say fringe average to average, um, depending on how much you've seen of him. And I watched several of his games and been about every video I could find too. Um, he's not going to get a lot of guys out, but he's going to hustle and make plays but it's not a cannon for an arm. 
but he can handle third base in a, in a spot. He can handle shortstop. Um, solid glove work, not, uh, you know, he's not going to knock anybody's socks off. Just a guy that has good instincts that will put himself in good positions. He'll run into the grass to, to make plays. Um, you know, he needs some footwork at short, and that's part of where I think he probably slots over to, to um, second base. And I would not be surprised to see him be able to handle a utility role. And even the outfield, as you mentioned, I think he has the speed. I say he's more above average, and he gets above average to average grades, depending on your source. Um, but I think the speed plays down because he doesn't steal very well. And he he's a guy that I would say that is probably better running underway than he is um, taking off to steal a base, if that makes sense. He's not got that um, explosive athleticism to steal bases. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that probably, like you said, the tools are kind of averageish across the board. Um, so maybe that helps everything play up a little. I don't want to say he's – and Tyler Freeman's a higher-graded Tyler Freeman's a higher graded prospect, but I, I just the tools overall, I feel like they're, the grades are, are somewhat similar to Tyler Freeman. Maybe the hit tool, not quite as high as potential for Tyler Freeman. Uh, but I feel like there's some similarities there, and at least I feel like he's one of those guys who may end up playing – looking better on the field – than his tool suggests, it's you know one of those some of the parts greater than one individual yeah. tool thing at, at, at his peak. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I completely agree with that, and that's kind of where I was trying to get with all of that. Is that there's good tools there. There's nothing, no, no bad tools. Even his power, he's going to make up for it with doubles. Um, his ISO last year was 140, if I remember correctly, and that's right on average. Everything else, his ability to get on base is above average. I, he's just a guy I think that's going to be able to hit um, probably in the 270-ish, which maybe 260 at, at worst. But he mashes lefties. I think he hit 379 last year. Uh, that may have been 2018, but it, it was 350, 379, something like that. So you're, you're talking about a guy that can really hit some left-handed pitching. Um, and he's done well against right-handed pitching too. He's just a guy that's hit around 300 in about every every area that he's been in. Yeah, I wonder if maybe there's a chance he could see some time at second base in Cleveland next year, or maybe even shortstop. I don't know. Um, he's already moved fast. He's got uh, 560 plate appearances at Double A. I wonder at some point next year. You know, we don't. I, we don't. I don't want to get into this now because we want to be more prospect focused on this version of the podcast, but. I don't really see the Indians moving Jose Ramirez back to second base. I think he's settling at third, and um, he's a little thicker than he was when he played second base the last time. So I would be – I'm, I'm more convinced they're going to leave him at third base. So that leaves an opening at second base if they don't re-sign Hernandez. So I think Miller could be part of the equation in the middle infield somewhere next year, You know, also depending on what happens with Lindor. Um, the next guy on the list – is Joey Cantillo. Joey Cantillo slots in at 13 in our new rankings. Uh, that's just above uh, Tanner Burns. I think you and I were a little bit higher on Cantillo than uh, Joe was. I think, okay, I had him at 10. You have him at 11, and Joe had him at 10. So, actually, I don't know why Cantillo's down at 13. Maybe that should change. Maybe we have Hankins at 9 and, and Karen Shack at 10, and we have Gabriel Rias, who we'll get to in a little bit. At 11, Daniel Johnson at 12. Um, we think maybe now that we're, we're discussing the uh, making the sauce here, do we think Cantillo is a little low at 13? Do we need to move him up? Yeah, I wouldn't. I would be comfortable uh, flipping him and Daniel Johnson. Okay, so one more spot. We'll go 12 here. So you heard it here. We just did a little uh, reversal. So Joey Cantillo is now our number 12 prospect. Um, <laughs> Not a lot. Now of, you not, see not a lot. The, the behind the scenes will appear. <laughs> yeah. So I had a good look. At, I I got to see Cantillo once last year when he was with the uh, Fort Wayne Tin Caps playing the Captains, mm -hmm. and I didn't like have a. I mean, I saw like I don't know 20, 20 Captains games last year. So uh, sometimes it's hard to you know remember who you saw and what you saw in them. I had to look back at some notes. 
and I really didn't have much other than he was very lanky. I thought he was lanky, and that was interesting to me as a pitcher. Um, and I texted with uh, Andrew Luffclass, who's been on our podcast, the captain's play-by-play uh, broadcaster, and he really liked Cantillo, liked his changeup, and obviously that's the the big thing that stands up is he throws a changeup that he could throw at the same arm speed as the fastball, and it's a plus offering. It's got a lot of fade. It, it comes below the zone. He can throw it for a strike. He can throw it as a strike to a ball. He can bury it. Um, he gets a little on top of it at times, so I feel like um, – or I should say outside of it, because he can let it go high and away. So there's still some consistency things to work out with, with the changeup. But overall, the command's really good. And what everybody else is looking at is, you know, the frame. He's six foot four, uh, probably not a lot of projection left in the frame. But I think people feel like he's going to add like a mile or two an hour to his fastball, which would put him more in the 91, 93 range versus kind of the 88, 90 range that I saw him in top. He did top out at 94 in one of the outings I saw, and that's reportedly where he has topped out his career. So we know the ability to throw 94 is there. It's just the Indians got to get him to sit more around 91, 92 and, and touch it, top out at 94, 95. But what, what's good about him, and this is what I noted about him being lanky when I saw him pitch one time, was that there's so much extension. He's got a little bit of Tristan McKenzie to him where, you know, he's releasing the ball pretty out in front of the mound. So it's, it's going to get on hitters a lot faster. So that 92, 93, you know, looks a lot faster than it, that it looks on the radar gun because of the extension. And the curveball is the one thing that's, that's lagging behind for him. The curveball has good shape. Um, and a lot of people seem to think that, with added velocity, it's going to be, it's going to have much more sharper break. It's going to be more effective. And I think it can be a really good pitch. I do think it has good shape. And um, if it gets a little bit tighter with an an added velocity, it's going to be a great third offering. And I don't know, for me, like he looks really good right now. He looks like a, a four or five. And I hate saying that because we kept saying that about like, you know, Aaron Savali and, and even Shane Bieber at one time. Uh, as, oh, these are guys that, that look like they're four or five starters and they end up being a lot better than that. But I think at his current arsenal, you can say, okay, what he what he does right now, Joey Cantillo can can be a, a four or five starter. If he adds some velocity and that curveball gets a little bit better shape, um, I think there's a lot there for, you know, for a three to a three or two starter at, at the hot, at the top of things, but probably comfortably in that three range. What do you think? Oh, I absolutely agree. Um, one of the things that struck me with him also was the long levers. That's kind of what you're talking about with the Tristan McKenzie look. Um, you said lanky, but he's six foot four, 220 pounds. So I, I tend to think that his body is immature. And what I mean by that when I say that is I think he can add healthy weight and healthy strength to that frame and kind of fill out a little bit more. Not that he's going to get a lot more bigger but that he'll be stronger as he physically matures. Um, I do think that there's more control coming for him. I I think that they could even reduce the arm swing for him and uh, tighten him up and bring him, bring him inside a little bit more um, as he delivers and comes through his throwing motion. Um, With that being said, I I think the curveball picks up. I like the shape on it. I think the fastball will also tick up as he gets a little bit stronger. Um, and it's not that he needs a lot. I just think that there's a little bit more there for him physically. Um, with that being said, as he gets stronger, I think you see more 92, 93, 94, and, and probably touching 95. I project him right now as a number three starter, and I can see where you would say that he potentially has number two starter. I, I think it's a little premature for the number two, but it, it's it's there and you can see it. Um, right now, though, I'm I'm going to say he's probably a three or a four. I won't even say four or five. I think he's a three or a four, um, which puts him right with Tanner Burns. Burns was a guy I said is easily a, a four or a five, and that could flash a three. I I slide uh, Cantillo in above him because of his ability, and I think the upside there just with a 20-year-old, and, and he was one of the youngest um, players drafted. I, I can't remember if it was 2017 or not, but one of the younger players drafted in the entire draft and he was very impressive, got a lot of strikeouts and you look at his performance and then you also note his age for the level. And he was a couple of years younger 
than the talent around him on the field, that uh, that's an impressive feat for him. Yep, of course, right there, you just named off what every single trait the Indians seem to track and prefer in a pitcher. He was young for his class. He's got good fastball command. There's some projection. Um, every and, and he can add some some healthy weight. It just seems like that's that's the mold right there. And the only reason I think I said number two is that he's already got decent command now. I think, like you said earlier, I think there's more to come for that. Um, you know, he may never get to the command level of a number two, but uh, the command's still going to be good at the middle of the rotation, and he's going to compete for strikeouts even with a, an average fastball because of the extension. And unlike Tanner Burns, and I'm with you on this, why, why he's above Burns for us is because of the physical projection that he might be able to add. And I think the changeup might be – it's not as good as, as Eli Morgan's changeup, probably, but it's it's one of the better changeups the Indians have in their system. And I wonder if that one pitch is – and the uh, the perceived velocity he will be able to get on the fastball, I wonder if that just makes him a little more competitive than Tanner Burns, who might have great command of everything, but is going to have to get the most out of his arsenal because of his, um, his size. And, and Cantillo can create that downhill plane – with the fastball and he can pitch in the up on the top of the zone. So I think maybe there's a few more tools there for Cantillo to shine with uh, in the middle of the rotation. Whereas I think Burns has to really be an Aaron Savali type where he's really got to maximize um, all of his offerings. That's, does that sound fair? Absolutely. Um, Burns is already a, a year older or so than him. You know, when you look at that and um, you know, there's not a whole lot of upside with Burns that he lacks the height. Um, he is kind of what he is at this point. He's going to be a polished polished um, college arm coming in for the Tribe once he does make a debut. But, um, you know, I really like Contillo because of the relative youth and the size and physical projection that he still has. As I said, I think that he is a little bit stronger. And, you know, I said 94, 95 is, is on the um, table for him. And if he hit a 96, I would not be surprised. I like that he comes from the left-handed side too. You, the the tribe has not had a whole lot of lefty um, pitching prospects until these last two years, where they've gone out and acquired them either through trade or the draft. Yep. So, and also, I think I don't know if it's it's fair or unfair. I think it's fair, but when you look at a pitcher like Cantillo or anybody else, the Indians have, you almost have to give them the benefit of the doubt and raise your evaluation of that pitcher and factor in what the unions have been able to do with, with the pitchers they've had. And, and because he fits that profile. So I feel like when you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, well, what can this guy be? You almost have to push him a little higher in your mind because you've seen what the, what the Indians are able to do with the pit, uh, with their pitching. I, I think it allows us the freedom of, you know, when you project and you say a guy could be a number three, I, I think I'm more comfortable saying he's a number three than I am saying Tanner Burns is a number three. And throughout the draft process, I said Tanner Burns is a four or a five that may flash a number three for a few years. So there's a, there is a difference there. Um, Burns is a ready-made starting pitcher. I mean, he's a guy that's going to move fast. He just does not have the physical projection. He already has the velocity that he's going to have. He's not going to add velocity. Um, Cantillo on the other side, you know, he's going to get stronger. I think, um, he's got that lanky frame and I, I think they will work with him and, um, add a little bit of additional deception if they bring the arm in a little bit tighter, um, and shorten that arm swing. Yeah. So just for what they've been able to do with pitchers, I think you almost have to consider the upside and the range of outcomes ending up on the higher end of things when you rank these guys, especially pitchers in the organization. Uh, Gabriel Arias, or, you know, I've heard it said a couple of ways, so I'm not 100% sure. I think it's Arias. I don't think it's Arias. Anyway, um, Arias right now for us is comfortably at 11. We had a little deba a debate about that. You and I are higher on him than Joe. Uh, Joe had him a little bit lower. But to me, uh, I, I didn't watch a ton on him. You know, I, I, you were focused on Miller. I was focused on Cantillo, and Joe did the write-up on uh, Arias that'll be out later this week. Um, 
but just what I saw of him, I mean, the physically everything is there. I, I remember the arm is really good at shortstop. He just looks. I remember he was like 18 and when he played Lake County, and I just I was just struck by how big he was for his age. He was a, a, a physically well built kid, and and he was you know all of 18 years old. I'm like, wow, this guy looks like he's you know already 22 or 23. He's, he was physically filled out, but it didn't stop him from being a good shortstop. He's got plenty of range. Um, the arm has plenty of carry to stay at shortstop. It's it's an above average arm for me. Um, and obviously what we know is the only thing that is holding him back, I think, is the strikeouts. And the Padres did some things with him trying to help him make better choices or uh, selection choices at the plate and recognizing breaking stuff. But other than that, I mean, the physical tools are all there. He's going to have power. Um, he runs, I think, fairly well. I don't know if he's going to be a guy who steals a ton of bases, but he uh, should have good speed. And so I think really what you're looking at, I, I mean, I think I, I saw some people say, and I don't want to, I don't want to throw this comp on him because it's unfair, but I did hear some people say there's some hobby bias to his game and just his swing, um, his frame, his smooth, his, how, how fluid he is on both sides of the ball. He's just a very loose, strong athlete. And hobby bias for that same measure um, has a lot of issues with pitches in the dirt. He is a free swinger and he will chase in the dirt. And that's obviously one of uh, Arias' uh, issues. But uh, 19 years old last year in Lake Elsinore, the California League, 17 home runs, 302 average. Uh, the strikeout rate dropped by about 5%. 128 strikeouts compared to 25 walks in 511 plate appearances. In 2018, he only hit six home runs in. Fort Wayne in the Midwest League as a 18-year-old and uh, struck out 149 times and 41 walks. So everybody can hit the California League. So, I mean, there is that element to it. But to me, physically, he just looks so gifted. And, and if, if the only thing really holding him back is pitch selection, it's a tough road to climb. You know, it's a tough mountain to get up and change that. But I would not be surprised if, if – the high range of his outcomes is, you know, an all-star level shortstop. Is that, that's probably lofty, but I think that's, that's a potential for him. I, I don't think it's lofty at all, to be honest with you. I, I like the Javi Baez comps. Um, frankly, I would not be surprised with his build and his strength if he could handle third, you know, two. And, you know, if he gets a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger, maybe third is the place where he ends up at but he's shown the athleticism and the arm for shortstop he's got a plus arm and he can make plays that short got a lot of range um you know i, I go back and i look at results and age against uh, his opponents um and his opponent's age is is i believe two two to three years older than him for that level and he hit over 300 yes it's in the california league but you're talking about a kid that hit 302 that also struck out a, a fair amount of times so he was putting the bat on the ball. Um, the power kind of came out of nowhere for him. I think that's because of physical maturation as well. Uh, I think he's a guy that could probably hit 20, 25 home runs at maturity. Um, I do have some concerns with the breaking ball and his ability to adjust. Um, but uh, San Diego really worked on that. And I know that Fangraphs and Baseball America both wrote that they use some VR technology to um, implement some breaking ball recognition and that he did really well. And that was part of the reason that he was invited to the alternate training site for the Padres this spring. Um, you know, so maybe there is a, a little bit more development that we are unaware of with him. But I think you're looking at a guy that's probably a league average type of hitter who's going to strike out a fair amount that can play all-star uh, shortstop and get 20, 25 home runs a year. That's a, that's a quality piece. And I think he's the gem of this deal. He is. And he I, offers absolutely the most upside in this deal. Yeah. And, and I was going to add, a, I, and I really like Cantillo too. So um, Arias though, I, I think he's potentially a top five prospect for the Indians really quickly next year. Um, once play resumes, we'll have to see, you know, I could be wrong, but you know, that's where he is for me right now is he's, He's creeping into that range. He's not quite there yet, um, but he he will be creeping in that range. And we'll have a few guys graduating too, like McKenzie and 
Karen Chack, uh, that we'll have to adjust these rankings. Yeah, for sure. It, the the off season version of this this uh, thought experiment that we do twice, sometimes three times a year, uh, is only going to get more interesting. Mm-hmm. I I think. I, I really like Brian Rocchio. I, I like what I've seen out of him in shortstop defensively. I do think there are some elements of this game that do look a lot like Francisco Lindor. I don't know if he's going to hit for the power Lindor uh, seemed to find, but I, I like the, the tools at shortstop, and I like the gap power. I like the switch hitting ability. Um, we, we both like Tyler Freeman, although I wonder if Freeman's a second baseman long term. But now that uh, Arias is here, you know, I know he's right behind Freeman and Rokio right now, but, you know, we may do this experiment in the, in the winter and um, it may take seeing what Arias does with some of the developmental changes he tried to do over at the alternate training site. But I think Arias is going to challenge those two for being the best pro- uh, shortstop prospect in the organization. And, I, you know, Joe likes Freeman a lot. And I know you do too. And, and we're going to talk about that a little bit here. Um, maybe not today, but on our next podcast, but I'm almost starting to think about it. And, and because of the upside, I, I want to see a little more swing change with him. And I want to see the improvements in the, in the, in the uh, play discipline, but Arias might be the best shortstop prospect in the organization. I can't argue there. I think he has that sort of upside. Um, and that's not a slight toward Tyler Freeman or Brian Rocchio, who, you know, I, I like both. I've got both of those guys in my top five. Um, and, you know, frankly, as I think about it, I would probably flip uh, Rocchio and Freeman at this point just because Rocchio hasn't been able to play stateside this season. Um, you know, so who knows what, what uh, sort of development he's actually getting down in Venezuela right now. And considering the level of competition that he's playing against there, whereas – Freeman is facing guys like Ethan Hankins and Daniel Espino over in Lake County and even some of these other guys like Hentges throwing 100 miles an hour and Tristan McKenzie's rolled, rolled through there. Uh, Mike Clevenger was in there at, at one point and Zach Plesak. You know, when you when you consider that Freeman has faced that level of competition this season and Rocchio has not, I think you can easily make an argument that Freeman should probably be the higher of the two at this point. Yeah, and the rankings do reflect that now. We did change that, and I'm, I'm in agreement with you on that. I know Joe is too because um, Joe actually has Freeman as his number one prospect over Nolan Jones on his top uh, rankings. And I, I, we have seen some you know, video that's been out there on Freeman and some pictures, and he's physically stronger now too, whereas Rokio still has some of that to go. So that's helped a lot too. But it's going to be interesting. I mean, the shortstop race – so who is the heir apparent to Francisco Lindor? And, and look, none of those guys are going to be playing in progressive field next season. Uh, Tyler Freeman could, I suppose, but um, I don't know if 2021 is the year to say that he is the heir apparent to Francisco Lindor. But one of these guys is going to be it by 2022, and I'm excited to see how things develop between that group and, and – it's harder to do because there's probably, they're probably all at different levels, but like we've seen with the starting pitching, how much healthy competition and how much um, collaboration there is the minor league level for the pitchers. And I think we could see the same thing at shortstop with those guys. And it's going to be a heck of a race to see who makes it first and who sticks. I can't wait. It'll be fun to see them develop. And I think, I think you see Owen Miller before you see a Tyler Freeman. Uh, next sure. year, just because of the level of competition where he is at, um, as far as level of development. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think I think Miller's bat is a little more major league ready right now, and, and he's just fundamentally more more solid. He has a double A, whereas Freeman hasn't hit double A yet. Although, I'm I'm what I really want to find out, and I'm gonna we're hopefully gonna get some answers here soon. I did reach out to James Harris, the uh, director of player development for the Indians. I should say vice president of director of player development um, to see if we can talk about some of these guys. I want to know how they're evaluating their time in camp and, and if they can compare it to what level of competition they're facing, because they have guys from all over down there. Like you said, they have, they have police second Clevenger down there. They had McKenzie down there. Um, you know, they have a Sam Henches. They have a Logan, a Logan Allen down there and the, the, 
San Diego Logan, Logan Allen. Um, they have arms down there that have been at the upper levels. So you're still getting competition against upper level guys, even if they're not all that way. So I'm really curious to see uh, what level of competition and what they're gaining from that, because you don't want this to be a lost year, but you know, Tyler Freeman only played a half a year at high A ball last year in 2021. Do you send him back there to start the season and, and bump him to Akron or do you start in Akron? That's going to be all questions that have to be answered. So I hope we can get a feel from Harris, what they feel like competition level and uh, how it factors into the development this year. There's a couple of new guys on the list too. Um, what did I say? We are at, Right now, we have a top 54. That's just the way things shook out. We have a top 54. So some of the new guys are Jose Pastrano and Nick Nikolajek, Mason Hickman, who was part of the draft um, this year, Mylon Tolentino, obviously Owen Miller, um, the new Logan Allen from FIU, Petey Halpin, Carson Tucker, Tanner Burns, Joey Cantillo, David Larias. Um, we talked about Nikolajek. Briefly, we both think he's going to be a fast mover. He's a reliever, fastball, curveball combination. Um, somebody who could profile the back end of a bullpen. I think there's a potential for him to be a setup guy, maybe more uh, once we see him go through a little bit. One of the guys that's not really talked about a lot, but um, just needs, you know, to show some improvement in command and, and get some innings. I don't think there's a whole lot to say about him, but he's a two-pitch pitcher who um, I think could be in the bullpen as soon as, you know, at some point next year, he, I guess he could be, but probably more 2022. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's a fast track arm in the pen. I think the Indians have really done a good job of locating these guys and, and hopefully we'll, we'll see uh, Kyle Nelson potentially tonight. Um, but Mikolo Chak is a guy that I think that 95 mile an hour fastball and the curveball combination um, looked really good last year when I got to see him. Uh, a couple of times, um, you know, another guy I'll, I'll say that's not even on our prospect list, Robert Broom, who is uh, another kind of uh, reliever that could help the Indians sometime soon. And, you know, he's side armor that's been effective way down uh, in the minors. But interesting guys that, that you mentioned, uh, Mason Hickman. I don't like to stamp plus control on anyone, but he's a guy that probably does have plus control. It's just lesser lesser parts, if you will. Um, nothing spectacular. His curveball is probably above average. And other than that, it, everything is just fringe average to average. Um, but it's that control that he has. And, and a guy that has a big frame, six foot six, 230. Um, I think that they can make a few mechanical changes and pick up a mile or two on his fastball, too. Um, but he's also a five-pitch pitcher, and he's going he's gonna to show some variety. But that control is what will help him um, and what will benefit him. And I think he could be a fast track arm, probably number five upside. Um, really like Tolentino, love the glove, talented, gifted shortstop. Does he have the ability to hit? That's a question he'll have to answer as he develops. Um, Jose Pastrano is an interesting kid. They signed for, for $1.5 million. If the signing bonus is an indication of talent, he's somebody to keep an eye on in the years to come. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what Pastrano does uh, as we see him stateside a little bit more. Just a guy we kind of threw in at the end because he's been on a lot of other lists and I thought it was worth um, including him. And this is kind of what sparked our debate of, of not having arbitrary cutoffs because uh, he's just one of those guys that was worth profiling versus just saying, well, he didn't make the top 50, so let's not write about him because he's still – someone to keep an eye on. And he's someone the fans I think should know about if you're into Indians prospects. Absolutely. Um, and it could be a Jose uh, Tena type of guy. And what I mean by that is somebody who kind of jumps up out of nowhere. So if he's in the thirties next year, don't be surprised. I know MLB.com had him in the thirties uh, when he initially signed um, baseball. America did too. They had him in the late twenties. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of talent there. Other other places are saying that there's talent there. I think our biggest issue is we haven't seen a whole lot of him, but we're aware of him. He's on the radar, and we want to throw that name out there because we feel like there's potential for him to make that sort of impact where he, where he jumps 15, 20 spots next year. Right. He is one of those guys where, we, you know, unfortunately, I don't even know how much Joe has seen of him, honestly, because 
Uh, I don't know if he's been stateside or if he's. Uh, Should have debuted in the DSL this year um, because he just signed last summer. But um, yeah, probably, so even did, probably did some training in Arizona. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons he's kind of low, too, is I feel like, you know, we don't really have, you know, Joe's in Arizona, and he can see some of these guys that we can't, so that's why he's a huge help. But also, it's hard to get video on, on someone like Pastrana, who obviously hasn't been out there yet. So um, when we see more of him, we'll, we'll go a little more in-depth on him. Uh, I did mention some other guys that are at the top of the list. We can get into that as we as we move up. I really, we really want to break this up into two halves. We're going to talk about the list, new list a little bit, um, but I want to make sure that we give enough time to up and down the list without going too long for our listeners. So let's just kind of go through the top, um, the bottom 30 here. So like 30 through 54, uh, who are some names at the bottom of this list to look for, you know, two or three names to look for and, and guys you think have potential to move up uh, next season and who fans should be aware of going in, going forward. Oh, gee whiz. I don't have the list in front of me right now, to be honest with you. Um, let me pull that up. But, um, you know, somebody like Pete Halpin is a guy that I like. I know he's not that far down. I know he's more in, into the 20 range. I love the tools. Very young kid uh, as far as the draft goes. Um, he was barely 18 for the draft. And, you know, I think there's the athleticism and stuff, the potential to potentially stay in center field with him. Um, let me see here. I'm scrolling back, trying to get this. Uh, you know, a lot <laughs> of these other guys. Kyle Nelson's down. We talked about Pastrano and Tina. Uh, we talked about Hickman and Tolentino. Nico Lachek's down there. Um, Kyle Nelson was down there. He's up already in the major league, so uh, – you know what that what he's got. I'll say for me, I want I, a guy I want to see a lot more of who I think has loud tools, but doesn't have that maybe has the same issues as a Gabriel Arias is Alex Replanez. And I know I know a lot of people have seen some of his stuff on Twitter and uh, other other sites talking about him. We haven't seen him a ton, but just what we've been able to see from him physically, he seems very gifted. He's young, he's raw, but one of those guys who if you start to see some improvements in his game as far as pitch selection, and, and even then you can't really say much about it. I mean, he's a free swinger, um, even though he is rookie ball, but he's one of those guys where if you start to see improvements with him, uh, he'll shoot up lists because the physical tools are all there and he's really gifted right now. We have him at 39. And I think, I think if, if the, the plate discipline and everything starts to click a little more for him, you're looking at a, a more of a top 20 guy. Yeah, I agree with you there. There's a lot of talent. It's easy to see with him if you watch video of him um, smashing the ball um, <laughs> fast and strong. He's a guy that gets above average grades as far as speed goes and, and his arm too. You know, he, he probably profiles best over to right field. And then he has uh, some prestigious power as well. Um, I've got the list up in front of me now. And, and one guy that stands out right away is uh, Richard Palacios, who <laughs> has done nothing but hit. Uh, he had that labrum surgery last year, missed the entire season, and then kind of ran into a wall this spring with the COVID virus. Like a lot of other prospects, he needs this time, and he's missed it. Uh, but he has the above-average speed. He has ability to put the bat on the ball, and he has some emerging power as well. I think he's a guy that could get 10, 12 home runs a year easily um, with his frame, his strength, and his athleticism. Um, Adam Scott, the left-handed starter, he's a guy I think that slots in as a potential four or five number starter. Um, a name I really like is Hunter Gaddis. He's a guy I had in the second to fourth round range. So we'll go with the mean there and say he's a third round type of talent. Um, but a guy that I think that could sneak up the boards, um, sneak up the rankings for the tribe. Brian Lavastida, a guy that played shortstop and converted to catcher in junior college. The Indians snatched him um, and he's done nothing but hit. He's also showing uh, the ability to play catcher and a guy that may make an impact 
as far as probably being more of a backup catcher later on in his career. But I, I think that he's an interesting guy to keep an eye on just with his ability to put the bat on the ball. Um, we've got Scott Moss at 33. I think that he's an arm that's as ready as they can be. Um, and, and Sam Hentges, we got in at 32. You know, he's he came into camp this spring hitting 96 uh, all the way up to 99 and touched 100. And then he's been consistent um, throughout the summer, even touching 100 now. So, you know, he's he's really um, – kind of pushing himself into into our view where one is he's going to run out of options soon. I think next year it will be his last option here. But also when you have a left-hander that can hit 100 miles an hour and might be a middle of the rotation arm, you know, you take notice. Can he make some changes with his control and be more effective? I think that's going to be the big questions. He may end up a, a big-time reliever instead of a, a starting pitcher, but, you know, definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Let's, let's talk about Sam Hentges a little bit. I'm glad you brought his name up because if you look around, if you, if you follow us and you, and you read IDI, um, you know, like you just said, we have him kind of lower and a lot of other outlets are much higher on Sam Hentges. And for me, I have, I have Hentges a little bit lower and here's why. Now he has added some velocity over the last year, you know, like you just said, he's thrown 9,900 in, in the uh, alternate site camp where he was really more, you know, 93, 95 in, in Akron last year. And I saw him. Um, he has a lot of pitches. You know, he's a guy who has a big arsenal. I think the changeup for me last year was so underwhelming. I didn't really like how he the changeup was progressing. I don't know if, if that pitch for him – has much of a future and he may not necessarily need it as a left-hander. I don't know if he'll need it to keep right-handers off. He may, he may need it to, to hold off right-handers. The fastball velocity is getting better. So I think that makes him a little more interesting. The curveball is fine. If, for me, I, I saw him try to, to, to add a cutter and a slider and I felt like the cutter and the slider just looked too similar and it didn't really take hitters off his fastball. The command wasn't great. He had some bad luck last year, too. If you're going to look at the stat line, he had some bad luck in Akron. But what bothered me last year is I would, you know, he would get a couple runners on, maybe he'd walk a batter, and he got a bad call, or a ground ball would find its way to the, the infield, and it shouldn't have, or someone made an error. And he just never reeled it back in. Like, he would get to five innings, look great. Um Maybe there were some command things, but other than that, he looked good. And then he had this inning where things snowballed on him, and he just never got it back together, and that was kind of it. And I'm not going to say it was a body language thing, but there was some elements. I, I mean, I could have caught him on a bad day. Let's be fair. I'm not going to hammer the guy and say he's got a poor attitude because he doesn't. The Indians don't put up a poor attitude. So I'm not going to say that's a problem. But the, the time I saw this, it just seemed like, when things got out of hand for him, he just looked a little frustrated. And that's understandable. I'm, I'm not saying you can't be frustrated, but um, you want to see the composure a little bit. And, you know, maybe he was having a bad day off the field. Maybe something else was going on personally. So th those are all things to take into account. But for me, those are all things that I had against him. Now, the fastball, like I said, you mentioned is, is much better now. Um, I just don't know how, how he decides what his arsenal is going to be. Um, he throws a lot of pitches, and I feel like the fastball and the curveball are really the only good pitches he has. He's got to decide on a third pitch, and if he doesn't, he's a reliever. So I, I get why a lot of outlets are high on him, because he's a left-hander that can throw 99 miles an hour. Um, but, go, but I'm skeptical of the future ball going forward, I guess. I'll, I'll add this in there. So is Anthony Goss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I um, forgot about him. That, that that could be the type of role that he ends up in, and I agree with you there. I, I saw something, um, can't remember if it was August of last year in a start that he gave up four runs or something in, in the inning, and he could you could tell that he was obviously flustered, just body language, the way he was hanging his glove, the way he was wiping his brow. Um, he just seemed irritated and frustrated by the, by the poor defense uh, behind him that day when I saw him. Now... 
I didn't I didn't see anything above 94 that day. But uh, I didn't either. That was about where I saw him 94. He may have touched 95 once, but it was mostly 90, 91. And I think he was working on the cutter a lot that day when I, when I saw him. And I think you have to take that into consideration too, is when a guy who's that that far along in his development, and he's working on a pitch like that in double A and not quite getting the results that he wants, there is going to be some frustration there. Um, but I, I agree there needs to be at least three solid pitches to make it as a um, starting pitcher. And I have questions beyond the curveball fastball combo. You know, I have questions. Maybe that cutter will be it. I hope so. Um, but we shall see with him. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's someone who, you know, we could wind up looking very foolish on because he might, you know, the fastball velocity might carry for him and might make him better. And he might've had a third pitch over at the alternate site, or he might've, gain some consistency, whether it's the changer for the slider and next year he could be in the rotation and we'll, we'll look foolish. And that's fine. Um, we're going off of what we've seen and um, we recognize that certainly he has the potential to be more than what he is because we're, we're kind of the lowest outlet on him. I mean, not everybody covers the Indians prospects like we do. We're talking nationally, but um, you know, it's certainly a ranking that has a chance to make us look uh, very low on him, but we'll see. I still think he's more destined for a relief arm. And I think if he's a relief arm, he's going to be a darn good one because he's going to throw really hard and it's going to be fun to watch. Scott Moss is interesting too. You mentioned him and um, I think it's kind of the same thing with him. I think he lacks a third pitch and I think he lacks consistency and command doesn't throw quite as hard, but I feel like, he probably has more of a third pitch than, than Sam Hatches. Like we didn't see a lot of him last year, but I think there's more potential for a third pitch and he winds up being uh, a safer back of the rotation option. But I still question the command on him. Yeah. He's a guy I said has fringe average control and he's just shown that throughout his career. Um, he's 25 years old now and, you know, kind of time is running out on him being anything more than a, a, four, a fourth or a fifth starter. I would say fifth starter at best because of control. But, you know, if control and command comes around a little bit more, you know, maybe he does solidify a spot in the back of the rotation. More likely at this point, probably uh, another left-handed reliever. It's fine. They need left-handed relievers. He's a guy that gets up to 94. Um, I think there's some deception there with his overall um, length of his delivery because he's a three quarters guy and he's six foot four and gets a lot of extension. Um, so I do think that his uh, fastball and changeup combo play up because of that. Yep. Let's see. I agree with you on a lot of what you said earlier, one of the top three catching pro or one of the top two catching prospects, the organization, you know, we have two in our top uh, ranking. So not really a surprise. Uh, I like Palacios a lot. I kind of like right Elgato. I'm curious to see, uh, how that turns out, I'm not sure how much he's going to hit, but I do like uh, the versatility and the contact. We have Will Benson at 34, clock's ticking on him. He was playing down in the Constellation League, which was a, a quasi-independent league put together by the Sugarland Skeeters in Texas. Uh, things were not going well for him. So next year is going to be a really tough year for Benson. Uh, missing kind of a year of development is tough for him. He's got a lot of things to work on, even if the – He's so, so gifted. Uh, I, I want, I really want to see Will Benson make it because he's also such a good kid with such exciting tools, but uh, there's, there's major questions there. Um, you know, we have a minor class A at 28. I don't know if we need to go in depth on him because I think everybody knows what he can do, but he missed a year this year. My only, my only, we, you know, we did drop him kind of far from the original ranking. So back in March, he was 17. Now he's 28. Uh, part of that is because of the additions to the organization, the, the, the rankings, the, the, the organization's deeper. And missing the year is a big deal for him because relievers have such a short shelf life and he does throw hard. So we don't know how long that's going to last. So missing out a year is, is tough for him. And my only thing is he's going to induce a lot of weak contact. The only reason I didn't have, um, have him much higher is because 
he doesn't strike batters out the way James Karinchak does uh, as a reliever. I think that's what you're looking for is the bat missing ability. And he strikes out enough guys. And, and maybe to be, to be fair, James Karinchak is putting up video game numbers as far as strikeouts. But that's what you want in your, your high leverage relievers. You want guys to put up video game strikeout numbers. And Class A doesn't quite do that. He throws hard, but a lot of it is, is ground balls. They're hit very weakly. And there's plenty of value in that. Um, you know, it didn't, didn't work for Adam Simber, who just got sent down for Nelson, but um, he doesn't throw as hard as Class A. So there's more upside there. There's more margin for error. But for me, just the fact that he is missing the year and doesn't quite miss bats the traditional way that, that elite relievers do as far as prospects for me. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing I found on him when I wrote him up was that um, launch angle against, and it was something like 3%, which is basically the hitters are just beating the ball into the ground. Um, you know, he'll give up, he might give up infield singles or something like that, or or some through the gaps, but he's re- really keeping the ball on the ground, and maybe he's just a, a double play type of pitcher that is relying on getting those ground outs. Um, you know, I think there's a role for that, especially when a guy can throw 102. Um, he's not throwing it by people, though, you know. And as you said, there's margin for error with him, but he can get he can get the ball in there faster and get it in there on people um, that can't quite catch up to that fastball. But he's just not a strikeout pitcher, which is kind of surprising for the stuff that he has. Um, he kind of pitches to contact. And, um, you know, as far as the drop goes, I think all things considered, you lose a year of an arm like that and – to me, that drops him about 10 spots. I think you and I both agreed on that type of drop. And then when you when you insert the type of talent that the Indians have with Arias and Cantillo, um, Owen Miller, Tanner Burns, um, Logan Allen, and also Petey Halpin, all coming in above him on the rankings now, you know, that's quite a bit of talent that has been added to the prospect list. Uh, I think there that we said that there was about seven guys that would be in the 20 range that are new to the system. That's a pretty good influx of talent in an already deep system in a system that was ranked 14th or 15th in most of baseball. And you got guys that are coming in that high, that, that really uh, says a lot to what the Indians have done to add talent to the system this year. But, you know, I really think that this system is about to take a step forward. I just wish that we had minor league ball this year. Um, Overall, the Tribe added nine guys into our top 54. That's a pretty good size influx of talent, about a 20% turnover if I'm doing the math. Uh, Maybe it's 16 or whatever, you know, I'm not sitting here with a calculator, but it's a a pretty good um, insertion of talent for this club. Yeah, overall, uh, since the draft and the trade, so there are one, two, three, four, five, six new guys in our top 23, and – yeah, seven overall. So it is a good influx. You're absolutely right. Uh, Eli Morgan also worth mentioning in that range as well. Um, I think we all really like Eli Morgan, Jim Carlos Mejia, all guys that can that can fill a role in the back end of the rotation. I still kind of see Mejia more as a reliever, but we'll find out on that. Uh, missing a year is big for him. That's really all the guys. Uh, Ray Burgos is a guy who could pop if if he's pitching healthy and. Um, we get a full season next year. I like Ray Burgos, uh, three-pitch mix, athletic and, and uh, all good stuff and, and projectable body. So we're going to break this up. So this is the, the first half of the, the top prospect rankings discussion. Uh, we'll come back with a second half of this, which will focus more uh, kind of on the top 25. We hit on a lot of guys in this in this time, especially with the Kyle Nelson news and the, the rest of those guys. But, uh, other exciting things to look for too is uh, Willie. I know you said you're you're working on a shadow draft for the 2020 draft, so eventually that'll be out. Um, so other things to look forward to. Uh, we're going to introduce a depth chart uh, as a tab at the top of the menu at some point this season, where we're going to have a depth chart for every uh, level of the organization. We're going to put that together. We're also going to do a top ten by position ranking coming soon and at the end of the year it's going to be hard to grade these things but because there's new talent in the organization we will take a look at uh best tools so we'll do our best tools list best best hit tool best power best play discipline um infield arm outfield arm 
best pitches, things like that. So be on the lookout for all those things if you're a subscriber. The depth chart will be free to everybody. The top 10 by position will probably um, – I don't think we've decided on where that's going to fit, but the top tools will almost certainly be subscriber only. Um, but be on the lookout for all those. Willie, anything else you want to add? Not really. I, uh, As I said, I just enjoyed having the opportunity to talk baseball with you again, Dustin. Yes, definitely uh, enjoyed it. I know we had a lot of uh, podcasts together early in the season, and life gets busy, but I always enjoy talking baseball and especially prospects with you. And uh, be on the lookout for the next podcast, which will be more of a farm report type uh, smoke signals as well. Uh, you can follow Willie at Willie or Will Who 99. You can follow me at JL underscore baseball. Follow the account at uh, official underscore. IBI, check out our post games on Periscope on Twitter with me and John Fanta, John underscore Fanta. Had a lot of fun with that. If you've been watching, uh, we encourage you to check those out. And we will catch you next time.